Amen. We are uh, finishing our, our series on um, uh, our ID and who we are and uh, who we really are and who we aren't and so on and so forth. So what we want to do here as we finish up these series of, of messages on our ID, on, on what really our uh, true self-worth comes from, uh, I, I want to just finish this whole series by just talking about what it truly means to be a new person in, in Christ. And, and I kind of titled the series, When God Changes um, Your Name. And the, the one thing I love about a relationship with Jesus Christ is He does, He, he changes everything. And, and, and I believe that, that, that one of the areas that, that we struggle more than any other in our lives is our, is, is our identity. We, we're, we become very insecure if we don't excel in certain things or we, we, we portray ourselves to people on, on what we want them to view our lives or we vicariously live through our kids and, and, and our worth is dependent on how well our kids do or how successful I am or, or what type of house I live in or what type of car I drive. And that, that's a constant struggle living in America today because we attach our worth to, to things, right? To, to the things that I've accumulated. Even Christ said our, our life is not in the abundance of, of what we own. And, and really that's what Christ came to do, to set us free from those external things that could really never change us. So we, we struggle with acceptance, we struggle with approval, we, we struggle with, with guilt and, and regrets from the past, and, and all which can easily shape our character and who we are today. And so what we end up doing is we look for counterfeits to make ourselves feel better, how successful I am, or, or, or how I try to make people happy and accept me, and my worth hinges on these external things. And so these are the traps that we fall into, and, and over the past couple of months, we've tackled the issue of finding our true worth, and, and the question that we answered is, who am I? Am I defined by my job, my success? Am I defined by my body shape? Can I really find my worth? And as we've discovered, is the answer is, is yes. But it can't be found in me. It has to come from Christ. And when Christ changes someone, he doesn't just tweak us or improve the old me. He actually comes to make it completely new, completely brand new. And so we must not make the mistake that Jesus is just this add-on to my life. He actually must be my life. And some of you may have lived that way. I lived that way before I really was saved and understood what it meant to be born again. You, you went to church on Sunday, right? That was, Jesus was just, he was an add-on. He was the last thing of the week. And the rest of the week, I, I lived the way I wanted. Jesus really didn't affect the way I lived Monday through Saturday, really. Went to church just to give it service or lip service or just to say, this is what you're supposed to do. I remember asking my mom one time, why do we go to church? And she said, because that's what we're supposed to do. Okay, good, uh, okay. Because she didn't know either. It was just what you did. And before you became born again, you didn't understand. It's just a religious thing that I'm going through, but it really didn't shape or change my life intrinsically. And so in order to understand this new life, we have to understand the transformation that happens when Christ comes into our lives. How many of you can say amen? How many of you know that there, there was a point in your life where you understood that there was my old life and then here's my new life in Christ. There was a transformation that happened in your life 
that intrinsically changed you. Can I get an amen? Some of you, maybe you were brought up in church and, and you were in a family that, that was born again and, and, and you knew of that your whole life. Praise God for that. But I wasn't in a family like that. And there was a change that happened first in my dad and then with my mom and then in my twin sister and then in my life and then in my older sister's life and it swept through our family. Jesus radically transformed our life. And all I can tell people is this. I was blind, but now I could see. I wanted to read my Bible now. I actually wanted to go to church. I actually wanted to go to Sunday school now. Why? Because I had to or I was guilted into doing it? No, Jesus so transformed me from the inside out that there was something that I wanted to know more about Jesus. I was falling in love with Jesus more and more each day. And I want, not that I wasn't perfect or I wasn't tempted or I didn't make mistakes in my life or in, in my past, but that there was something about Christ that I wanted to know because he filled me with his Holy Spirit. There was something with inside me that said, man, when I use that language or, or I want to do this certain thing, I felt guilty about it now. That there was some guilt and conviction within my heart because light cannot mix with darkness anymore. And so there was something that happened. We need to understand that Jesus comes to change everything, not just be an add-on to your life or a self-improvement tool that you just kind of add on. Jesus says, no, I want to come in and I want to change everything. You've got to hand the keys over to me. And I want to radically change your life. And we need to understand what this radical transformation is. I, I, I go on this, uh, Lily and I do this daddy date every year. And, and so we go to see the Christmas Carol at the Jeeva Theater. And they do a great job with it. We go out to dinner and we have a great night together. We went out last Friday night, went to Basil's. She likes Italian and she's a very expensive date. I, I fear the person, whoever courts my daughter. I fear the person, whoever courts. Not for me, but for her, because she's, she's tough on a date. Um, she knows what she likes. Um, and so we went to see the Christmas Carol. And if you really listen to the Christmas Carol and the production, especially the Chiva Theater, the gospel message is laced through that whole thing. It's amazing. And I was really, I'm, I'm listening to it with, with ears that have been born again, with ears that have been transformed. And, and when Jacob Marley comes in and, 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 and comes in and, and, and scares Scrooge out of his mind, um, Scrooge says to him this thing, he says, you were a good business partner. And Jacob Marley says this, he goes, no, I wasn't. I should have been in the business of people. I should have been in the business of mercy. I should have been in the business of grace. See, he realized what he missed. And, 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 and I'm sitting there, listen, they, there was a song that they saw that they were singing about, let him in. I wanted to get up and say, people, are you hearing this? This is good stuff. I got tears in my eyes. I said, this is the gospel message. This is why Jesus came to radically transform us, not just tweak us, but literally transform us. And I love the way the actor plays Scrooge after he changes. He's just giddy with joy. Something complete. And I love because he just does it so over the top that I just, I love it. So I'm thinking that's the joy that Christ gives us when he breaks the chains of our past and the sin that we were once attached to. And so there's something that truly am just amazing happens when, when Christ changes us. And, and the Bible tells us that all who, 
who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we need to understand, what does that mean? And in order to understand what the answer is, we've got to answer the what, the who, and the how of salvation. This is This is the bedrock of of why we're changed. And and we need to appreciate the gift of salvation that God gives us. That's the whole reason for the Christmas season. God gave us the gift of his son. Just so we could sing a bunch of nice Christmas carols during this time of the year. The whole reason is we needed a savior. God gave us the gift of his son to save us from our sin. So we need to ask the question, what is salvation? Well, the the word salvation literally means to deliver or to protect. It's it's really, the the word there means it's deliverance from from harm. So Jesus came to save us, to deliver us, to protect us from, from harm. So we have to ask ourselves, well then, what are we saved from? And really, you need to understand, this is why Jesus came. He came to save us, from the wrath of God. That's why he came, to save us from the wrath of God. God will judge the unrepentant heart that does not turn towards him. Jesus did not come to make you a better wife, to make you a better husband, to make you, uh, you know, a better worker, to, to give you self-improvement tools like many churches are preaching today. Jesus came to save you from God's wrath that was pointed to your unrepentant heart. Can I get an amen? That's the gospel message. Now, when you receive that by faith, does he not make you, yeah, eventually he will make you a better husband. He will make you a better wife, a better worker, because now Christ is inside you and you want to do what pleases him, because ultimately you're working for him now. So he came to save us from the wrath of God. Our sins have separated us from God, and the result of sin, the Bible says, is death. And, and, and that is why we will die one day. There's the effects of sin in our life, and that's why we die. So biblical salvation refers to our deliverance from the result of sin and the removal of the sting of sin and death that was laid upon our lives. There's no more fear now. There's no more sting that, that's associated with death because Christ has overcome it through his resurrection. Amen? That's the hope that we have. There's no more sting. We don't have a fear what happens after we die. We don't have that fear because Jesus paved the way for us and shown us the way to heaven and to eternal life. So we have to ask ourselves, well, who does the saving then? Who does the saving? We we have to understand that God and God alone is the only one who can deliver us from sin and death. He does the saving. It's a gift. God gives you the gift of salvation. It has nothing to do with you or your merit or how good or bad you think you are. It has everything to do with the gift. Salvation is a gift. Grace is a gift. The repentance that God gives you to repent from your sins is a gift. It's a gift that God gives you to allow you to turn from your, from your life of sin. So how does God save? Well, he saves us through his son, Jesus Christ, because it's impossible for us to save ourselves. No matter how hard we try, we need a savior to bring salvation to us. And here's what we can falsely believe. Many people believe that they can be saved through a religion. I'll just go to church or I'll do a bunch of good things. 
I'll try to be very kind and considerate to people and, and that will be good enough. No, we falsely believe that, that, that good works and religion can save us, but it can't. We need a Savior who is perfect and that was through Jesus Christ. And as you read through the Bible itself, you see even in the Old Testament, even the, the blood of bulls and goats were not enough to fully remove the sins of the people, right? It was a temporary atonement. It was a temporary covering that appeased God's anger. But guess what? Every single year, there was that day of atonement. They had to go back year after year after year after year and offer up that sacrifice to the Lord because it was only temporary. It could not save them. It could not completely forgive them of their sins. It could just temporarily cover them. Isn't it interesting how we do the same thing today? Well, I'll go to church this week because I was bad last week. Temporary atonement. I'll clean up my language. Temporary atonement, but it doesn't save you. Are you, are, are you getting me? Are you feeling me here? Are we here? Are, is anybody out there this morning? Are you with me? Okay, good. Just I got to hear 830 crowd. I like when I hear the 830 crowd talking to me, okay? So talk to me, okay? Amen? Okay. So here Jesus is saying to us, listen, you can't save yourself. I came as a savior. You, you, you can't save yourself. And so God says, listen, I know that. And that's why I'm going to give you the gift of my son who is perfect, who had no sin, who will completely remove the sin from your life forever. He will be a perfect sacrifice. So there will be no more need for any other sacrifice. So for, by me saying, well, because I was bad last week and I'll go to church this week to cover up all the bad things I did last week is really a mockery towards what Christ really did on the cross because he already paid for that sin 2,000 years ago. He knew what you were going to do that week already. And he already paid for it. And so what what does God say to us? Well, then we need to come to him and confess that sin and allow Christ to cover it. Not by using our little goody-goody two-shoes works to try to cover that sin. That's a mockery to God. God said, that can't save you. That can't heal you. Only my son can do that. So God saves us through his son. And these aren't, you know, going to church, all those things are not necessarily bad things in themselves. But if we're using them to atone for our sins, then they are a bad thing. So Jesus took our place. He took our sin. He was perfect in every way, taking the wrath of God. And he ultimately, with his life, paid the price for our sin and rebellion. And now I receive the gift of salvation by, by putting my faith in Christ and recognizing the need to repent of my sins. And this is what Paul talks about in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, where he says, listen, it's by the gift of God's grace that you're saved through your faith now. Not by your works, lest any man can boast, but this actually is a gift of God that he gives you. He gives you the gift of faith. He gives you his gift of grace. So by you responding to that wonderful gift that God gave you through faith, that's how God saves you. And everybody should say amen there because, listen, we could not save ourselves. We would fail miserably if we were trying to save ourselves by our good works. So what God does next is incredible. Not only does he pardon us, but takes the righteousness of Christ and now places it in my life. Jesus' death and resurrection proves that he was God and he's the only one who could conquer sin and death. So in Christ Jesus, I'm promised the same thing all through this act of faith on my part. So let's understand this clearly. You can talk like a Christian, you can go to church and even read your Bible, even watch Christian TV and still not be saved. 
Salvation is a heart change. God first changes the eternal, internal man, followed by the change in the external man. Now God gives us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, and this is God's supernatural power within you. So, okay, you say, well, Pastor, I know all that. We talk about that every week. I understand what it means to be saved. Listen, the problem is the default of our heart is to always go back to works. Follow me here. The default of my heart, of our hearts, is always to go back to works. I've been pastoring for 23 years, and the people that I sit with that have been Christians all their lives or have been Christians for 10 years or 5 years, and ones that are struggling with their lives, it seems like when you boil everything down, it always boils down to the same thing. They don't really know who they are in Christ. They're disappointed with their lives. They're trying to make up with God by what they do or don't do, and there's this guilt and condemnation that, that drives their life. Listen, I know we're going to make mistakes, and I'm not trying to cover people's sins that make wrong choices. If we make wrong choices and we're disobedient to the Lord, we need to confess those things to the Lord and allow God to heal us and forgive us and move on with our lives. But the problem is I think many of us are driven by so much guilt and condemnation in our life. And I don't know if that's from your, your past or your parents or another pastor that you sat under that was just hellfire and brimstone all the time and just made you feel like you were just a piece of dirt if you weren't always doing what you were supposed to be doing or not doing this or doing this. I don't know. I don't know what your deal is. But I do know this. I see it all the time. I see it with, with 20-year-olds that come in my office and say, man, I, you know, my parents were just so hard on me and just beat the Bible down my throat. And if I didn't do it this way or do it that way, it's just like, and I'm just sick of church. I'm done with it. I'm sick of it because I can't live up to it. God, help us. And you see it all the time. I can never, ever measure up. And I think the problem is we don't know who we are in Christ. Do you realize that Jesus came to set you free? Not to put you back in bondage again, right? That doesn't mean we live lascivious lifestyles, but that means we live in the freedom of Christ's spirit within us to choose to do the right thing now, which should bring freedom and joy into your life. Not guilt and condemnation. In Christ Jesus, there Therefore, is no condemnation, Paul says in Romans. There's no more condemnation in Christ. And so you need to figure out, where's the voice of God here and where's the voice of the enemy? Is this the voice of the enemy trying to dig up my past and trying to bring false condemnation and guilt in my heart? Because I need to rebuke that and not listen to that voice and realize that in Christ, I am free to walk in the fullness of of his grace now. I'll, I'll be honest with you, one of the things pastoring for so many years, if I get to the end of my life, the end of my pastorate, the only thing I want to be remembered for is this, is that, Barden, you were faithful to preach my word. You didn't get sidetracked and all this other foolishness and hullabaloo. I don't even know if that's a word, but whatever. I'll use it. Sounds good. But man, my prayer for you is that you would live healthy lives before Jesus Christ. And there are so many unhealthy Christians just walking around with a bunch of garbage and chains. I mean, it, it was just, 
the, the Christmas Carol thing was so, when, when Jacob Marley came back and he's got all, I mean, they did such a good, he's got, and we're on the edge of the row where he walked down the, the aisle. So the pastors, Lily and I were on the other side, and Lily was like, oh, I'm so glad we're over here, Daddy, because it's scary. I mean, he's got the face, and he looks like a ghost. I mean, he's, you know, Ebenezer. If you guys have seen it, you know, it's freaking me out. So we're on, we're on the other side now, right on the aisle, you know. And, and so Lily's like, well, I want to sit on the aisle this year. I'm like, eh, I don't know. I'll sit on the aisle. So when he came by, she's whispering. She goes, I'm glad you were on the aisle, Daddy. <laughs> it was kind of funny. But he's, he's got his chain, and he's dragging around his, his trunk. He's dragging around for the rest of his life because that's what his life was attached to, the stuff of his life that was meaningless. And so he's trying to get the message to Ebenezer that this is going to be your life too if you don't change. And the saddest thing for me is a follower of Jesus Christ that's the same way. They've got their chain to this big trunk. And if you're opening up that trunk, it may not be a bunch of money, whatever, but it may be guilt and condemnation and regrets and performance and all that garbage that you're trying to do for Jesus that's just a chain that you're dragging around that's not setting you free. We've got to let Christ set us free from that garbage, from that stuff that keeps us from truly knowing him. And so what I want to do is I, I just I want to unpack this for us this morning. The juxtaposition of this message, I want to talk about Peter and, and how God transformed this guy. If you know anything about Peter, you've read the Bible, he was a train wreck waiting to happen, right? He, he probably wouldn't be on my list for the top 12 disciples, right? Peter wouldn't be, I mean, I, I don't know if I would have picked this guy. And, but, but Jesus saw something in this guy. And, and, and I think that, that, that just a person that epitomizes a changed life would be Peter. We, we know Peter. If you've read anything about Peter, he was outspoken. He had the habit of speaking without thinking. He was this rough fisherman who worked hard for a living he was the guy you wanted on your side if there was a brouhaha that broke out, right? He was that guy. Maybe today he would have been an MMA fighter. I don't know. This wrestler, I don't know what this guy would have been, but he was definitely a rough guy, and Jesus knew this about him. He, he was just, he could fly off the handle at any moment. And what was incredible about the first encounter that Jesus had with Peter is that he gave Peter a new name in his first encounter with him. His given name was Simon Barjona, which means Simon, son of Jonah. And Jesus, the first time, calls him Peter. The Greek there is Petros in the Greek. Uh, It's Cephas in the Aramaic. And, And Peter's name literally means the rock. I'm gonna call you the rock. He was the original rock, not Dwayne Johnson. If anybody you know that. He wasn't. Peter was the original rock. Dwayne Johnson ripped that off from, from Peter. Why, why, would, why would Jesus call him the rock when he was just the opposite of being a rock? We need to look at Peter's track record. 
He told Jesus that he'd never leave him or deny him, wouldn't turn his back on Jesus. And we understand that he denied Jesus in front of a junior high girl. He cut the ear off, the, off a servant named Melchus. In most cases, he did not use self-control. However, Jesus saw something that many would have not have seen in Peter. Jesus saw Peter for what he could be. He saw Peter for what he should be. And it's funny sometimes because Jesus, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus will call Peter Simon, his old name sometimes. And usually Jesus called Peter Simon when he was acting in the flesh or in his old nature. Simon, what are you doing? You, you guys know what I'm talking about. When my mom would say to me, Barden Anthony, which is my middle name. Some of you don't realize my last name is Gerace, by the way. Barden is not my last name. Okay, just want to you. I thought that was your last name. It is a last name, but it was my grandmother's maiden last name. It's my first name. I am Junior, just to clear it all up. Okay, so... When my mom would call me Barden, and in fact, my acronyms for my initials is B-A-G. So I would never have that monogram on my shirt or sleeves. I just wouldn't go there. You guys figure it out. Okay, anyways, figure it out later. Ruth's like, what are you talking about, Pastor? Anyways, figure it out later. Okay. So here, here we see, sometimes he's calling him Simon because we know that he's acting his flesh. Some of you, when your mom would say your full name, you knew you were in trouble. When I heard Barden, Anthony, look out. Now, if I just heard Anthony, there was a whooping that was about to happen, all right? Whooping was about to happen when I just heard Anthony. If it was Barden, Anthony, there's going to be tongue lashing. If there was Anthony, my bottom was going to hurt. I knew something was going to happen. I knew that was not good. And as Jesus talks to, to Peter on many occasions, he says, Simon. And, and I want you to know that that that. God changes your name even when you mess up, but God is there to restore us. And I, I want us to jump into the scripture in John 21 where Jesus reinstates Peter. And even Peter being a mess up and rejecting Christ and being afraid of a junior high girl and cutting the ear off of Melchus and, and, and just being a train wreck many times. Here Jesus says, listen, I want to do something great in your, in your life. You are the rock. And listen to the tender words of encouragement that Jesus gives to Peter in John 21. And I'm going to read those for you in 15 through 17. And it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, well, then you take care of my sheep. And a third time, Simon, son of John, do you know and do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then you need to feed my sheep. What I want you to see in this encounter between Jesus and Peter is that Jesus was restoring Peter. Maybe, maybe he was restoring him for the amount of times that he denied him. We don't know. But he was restoring him. 
And Peter needed to grow. And Christ was patient with him. And what's interesting about Peter's life is he became a leading apostle amongst the apostles. And here you have someone who probably wouldn't be on the top list of a disciple if you were to look at him at face value. But Jesus knew that he could do something powerful within him with a life that was transformed by Christ's power. And so Peter was a changed man who found his worth in pleasing God. And as we see this through the book of Acts, we can read his letters that he wrote before his death. And I believe uh, the, the letter that Peter wrote is a, is a perfect description of what our life should look like in Christ. And Peter writes this very verse, this letter at the end of his life, and he writes it with much wisdom. He, he writes this to encourage us not to give up, to continue to grow up. And Peter was a, a testimony of God's restoring power to take a life that was inconsistent and to make it into a life that could be used for God. And I want you to listen to the words of a mature Peter who Jesus could have easily given up on him, but he restored. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Will you follow me? Jesus poured his life into Peter. And I want you to listen. In 2 Peter 1, 3-9, I want you to listen to a, a mature Peter as he writes these words. And he's talking to his listeners about growing in the faith. And he says these words, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him. Peter knew the word. The word know there is an intimate knowing. Intimately knowing someone. Not having a casual relationship, but intimately knowing someone personally. He said he's called himself to us by personally knowing him. The one who called us to himself by the means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us a great and precious promises. And these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Do you think Peter understood that? You better believe it. Do you, do you think he understood the transformation power that occurred in his life because of Christ? You better believe it. In verse 5 he says, In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with the generous provision of moral excellence. He, he doesn't say, Hey, see how close to the line you can get without sinning. He says, no, excel for moral excellence in holiness. And moral excellence you need to supply with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patience and endurance and patient endurance with godliness. And I love how he ends this. He says, in godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Listen to what he says in verse 8. He says, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to keep in this way are short-sighted. They're, they're blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their old sins. There's nothing worse than a crusty, mean Christian. 
who doesn't show brotherly and love for one another. Peter said, this is how you grow. When you understand the great salvation that you were given, then you need to grow in your maturity, grow in, in your holiness, grow in your love for one another. If these things aren't happening, either you're not saved to begin with, or you're neglecting the great salvation that was given to you. Because if you understand this wonderful grace that was given to you, that you weren't saved on your own, that God bestowed his grace when you didn't deserve it, then this is how it should look. There should be generous provision, moral excellence. There should be self-control and patience and endurance. Godliness, brotherly affection, and a love for everyone. He said the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What Peter is saying is very simply, you need to grow. Your identity needs to grow year by year in your attachment to Jesus Christ. We can't be going backwards. You see, Peter could have easily looked at his past and given up. But I believe he kept repeating the words of Jesus in his mind when Jesus said to him, you are Peter. You are a rock. I know what you should be. You are the rock, and through my power, you will build my church. And that's what Jesus says to you. Barden, okay, you made a lot of mistakes in your past. You're not perfect, but guess what? I'm going to use you to build my church. I've changed you for that reason, for that purpose, to build my kingdom. I want you to be a kingdom builder now. I can't build anything. But I'll, with God's help, I can build this kingdom. All you that have been on a missions trip, say amen, right? You understand that. Keep pastor away from any tools, okay? You get that. But listen, it's part of God's kingdom. He says, listen, I've changed you for a reason. Not to sit your fanny in a pew week after week. Can I give an amen? Which is okay, because we worship together. But he says, I've got more for you to do. Get out of the pew and begin to build my kingdom. Grow. Let your identity be with Christ. And listen, this, this is so real to me because Jesus radically changed my life. And nothing more real than when you're in ninth grade in high school and you're just trying to fit in, right? And you're trying to identify with this group or that group. Where do I fit in? What group do I fit in with this group? Do I fit in with that group? And then your friends revolve around the groups that you hang in. It's, it's a minefield. It's horrible. Those of you in school know what I'm talking about. It's, it's horrible. And when Christ changed my life in April 1982 and I walked back into school, I didn't know who to identify with anymore. Where do I go now? Where are all the Christians? I, I, I had my twin sister and that... that wasn't too cool in ninth grade hanging out with your sister, okay? It got cooler as we got older. But in ninth grade, it's like, I didn't have any Christian friends. In fact, I think I had one Christian friend. That was it. Who do you, where do I go now? I identified more with the druggies that used to smoke in this cage that we had outside the back of our school. Anybody remember that? They had all the people that smoke, you can go out to this cage in the back of the school. I, I could relate probably more with those guys than I could the jocks and the popular people. I didn't know where to go. Because he completely changes your identity. And he's saying, what are you doing? 
to grow in this new identity that I give, have given you. Your identity is not what you do, not what hobbies you have, not what house car you drive. That's not your identity anymore. Your identity is in Christ. And so this is how I measure my growth. You ask, Pastor, how do I measure my growth? How do I know how I'm doing? How do, how do I know? Well, growth is seen by what you choose. Growth is seen by what you choose. I have a choice to deny myself or give into my flesh. And so how does this growth, what does it look like? Well, notice the words that Peter uses. He goes, I choose to be moral. I choose to show self-control. I choose to be patient. I choose to show love to all when they don't deserve it. This is the evidence of my identity in Christ now. I could choose to let this person know what's going on. I want to give this person a tongue lashing. I want to let them know what they did and how they screwed up, and I have every right to do it, but all of a sudden, Christ within me says, at, 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 not so fast, Barden Anthony. Not so fast, Anthony. Not so fast. You now identify with me. So the way you react to this person is not a reflection on Barden Jerez, but it's now a reflection on me. It got real quiet in here. Are you with me, people? So now I walk away from that conversation. That person says, that guy was a real jerk. That guy was a real jerk. The way he talked to me that way. And all of a sudden, I walk away, and the Holy Spirit convicts me and said, you just blew your witness. Because you're not your own anymore. I don't care how right you were. You didn't have any right to act that way. You see, as a believer and a follower that identifies in Jesus Christ, I give up all my rights to act in an unworthy manner that's not reflective of who Christ is in me. Can I get an amen? I know this is tough, but this is, this is where we got to live it. This is what Peter's saying. I got to live here. I can't be that old Peter. I can't be that guy that goes up and just slices somebody's ear off. Jesus even told Peter, listen, this is the type of death you're going to die. You're going to die for me. You're going to die a martyr's death. And church history says that he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified the same way as his Lord and Savior. He gave his life. Peter said, I got to lay literally the sword down and realize that in Christ Jesus, I will be persecuted for my faith. And if that means death, then it means death for the glory and honor of my Savior, Jesus Christ. You're not Simon anymore, you're Peter, you're the rock. And so we need to ask ourselves, am I living what I've professed? And I know we all make mistakes. We do, I do, you do, and we need to repent. We need to, when we make those mistakes, we got to go back and correct them. When you lost your temper with somebody at a store or whatever, you got to go back and say, you know what? I am sorry, I was wrong. Humble yourself, amen? Allow Christ to use you. And say, I'm a follower of Christ. That's not the way I'm supposed to act. I, 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 I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And you allow the Lord to humble you and use you and restore you in that way. I was reading, a, there's a pastor. His name is John Piper. He's written many great books. I was reading a devotion by him the other day. And I want to finish with this because he quotes someone that I thought was just excellent. John Piper says that, that we should never 
ever, ever, ever grow weary of, a, of the slow, steady growth that comes from the daily, disciplined, increasing love affair with Bible reading. I love the way you put that. Because how many of you know we have affairs with all kinds of stuff? And I'm not just talking about affairs with another person. I'm talking about love affairs with sports, with our hobbies, whatever. We, we like to grow with that love affair, right? We do. It's easy to get hooked up with things that we enjoy doing because there's a lot of fun. And not that those things are intrinsically wrong in themselves, but it's interesting how we have a love affair with these other things and we grow in them, we buy things to help with that love affair, to, 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 to work on our skills or whatever. And I like the way John Piper puts it here, but, but we need to understand we should never grow weary of the slow, steady growth that comes from daily, disciplined, increasing love affair with reading our Bibles and having increasing intimacy with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes as Christians, we, we want this quick fix change in our lives that's going to happen overnight. Jesus, why, why does this thing just change? I, give me a pill. What's a, give me just one little Bible verse that I can read that can fix it. And some of you had the little piece of bread with all God promises in there. And it sat in the middle of your kitchen table. And you, you, you picked out one of God's promises for the day. And it says, Jesus wept. Good. Okay, put it back. You, you, and, and you fix me. Or, or you did the old flip through the Bible thing. Okay, Lord, I need a fix. So I'm just going to flip through the Bible. Whatever page it lands on, Lord, I'm going to listen to you. Hallelujah. Oh, this is so spiritual. I'm surprised pastor never preached on this. And then you, you, you stick your finger on the... Okay, what does that mean? I have no idea, but Lord, you must be speaking something to me. See, we want a quick fix to fix our problems. And here's what John Piper, the pastor of Piper, is saying. He's saying, listen, no, it's this slow, steady, daily reading his word, allowing God to change you day by day, week by week, year by year. He quotes in this devotional from J.C. Riley, who was a pastor in England in the 1800s, if you ever get a chance, read like Sproul and, you know, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Finney. Read some of their sermons from the 1800s. These guys got it going on. I'm not saying they were perfect, but when you read some of their messages, they're powerful. I read Charles Finney's autobiography, could not put the thing down. It was so powerful what God did through his ministry. Jonathan Edwards, all part of these great awakenings in America. Just if you ever go online, Google them, read some of their messages, they're great. But he did, he gave this quote from J.C. Ryle. Pastor in England, very powerful pastor in England, did great things. He says this, J.C. Ryle. He says, do not think you are getting no good from the Bible merely because you do not see that good day by day. The greatest effects are by no means those which make the most noise and, the, and are most easily observed. The greatest effects are often silent, quiet, and hard to detect at the time they are being produced. Think of the influence of the moon upon the earth, the tides, slow and gradual. 
the air upon human lungs? Remember how silently the dew falls? How the grass grows? They may be far more doing than you think in your soul by reading your Bible, slow and steady, every single day. God, speak to my heart. God, I want to grow in you. God, can I chart my growth in you? God, are you working on the rough areas of my life? Am I allowing your Holy Spirit to speak to me? You've got to start identifying your life in Christ as a new person. Some of you, you've got this hurdle in your life that you can't even get back past your salvation experience because you're still dragging up the guilt in the past of your sins. And Christ is saying, okay, you're saved already. Start growing, right? Start identifying with me. And some of you here, listen to me, as your pastor, I love you, okay? So I don't mean this as a mean rebuke, but I'm going to rebuke you right now as your pastor because I love you. This, has been, th- this week is my 13th year at the church. 13 years at Living Word this week. 13th anniversary. As being your pastor for 13 years, here's what I want to challenge you. Listen. Take the next step in your walk with the Lord. Get involved in a small group. Get involved in a Sunday school class. Get involved in a Bible study. Start challenging yourself to read God's word. Even if you get the daily word for today, I don't care what you do. Get yourself into God's word and say, Lord, I want to challenge myself. Don't allow yourself to slip back into your old ways. The things that, that you're, you're, you were grappling with 20 years ago and you're still grappling with those today, say, God, listen, I need you to change me. I'm going to lay this thing before your feet every single day. And I want to get serious about you. I want to get serious about my growth in you. Because it's so easy for us, whether or not we we believe it or not, it's so easy for us to allow the things we do to identify who we are. And Christ is saying, listen, here's the reason why you're miserable. Here's the reason why you're not joyful is because you're looking for external things to fix an internal thing that only I can fix. So start growing in me. Start reading my word. Begin to open up to other people. Begin to seek my face and allow me to do in your heart what no one else can do. Peter said, Peter's words in his epistle is the words of a changed man full of the Holy Spirit. A rough, impetuous fisherman who now says, I identify with Christ, that man is dead. Simon is dead. Start identifying with the Lord. So you've got to ask yourself, where are my struggles? Where are my pains? What am I attaching my life with? What are the guilt? What are the shame that I have in my past? And the problem is growth, growth, growth. You need to start maturing in the Lord. Begin to challenge yourself. I don't care. You can call me and say, I can give you a million books that will help you 
challenge you in your walk with the Lord to grow deeper, deeper, deeper with your walk with the Lord. That's what Peter challenges us. So Lord, as we bow our heads and our hearts before you today, Lord, you desire to change each and every one of us. And Lord, every single one of us in this place make mistakes. We're not perfect. We understand that. But Lord, what are we doing to grow in you? If, if we indeed understand what salvation means and what you've saved us from, then the question we need to ask ourselves is, why am I not growing? Why am I still struggling with the things that I struggled with 20 years ago? And so, Lord, humble us before you. Humble us before your mighty hand and challenge us to have a love affair with your word. God, forgive us when we're so apathetic. Forgive us, Lord, when we become just, when we just become apathetic, God, to your word and your spirit. Lord, let us realize that you're here not to heap more condemnation and guilt on our life, but you're here to set us free that we might walk in the fullness of your spirit today. In the fullness of your spirit today. So set us free today, I pray. Amen. Amen. I want you to stand this morning. Listen. As we sing this song in closing, if you're here today, I don't know what you're battling with today. I don't know what you're struggling with today. But um, we're going to be up front, and we want to pray with you today. I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't know what you're struggling with today. Maybe there's just something you need someone just to pray with you about and somebody to agree with you about something that you're going through today. We're going to be up front. Our prayer partners will be up front today. We want to pray with you before you leave this place to allow the Lord just to touch whatever you're going through today. Let's not, let's allow the Lord to challenge us and to rebuke us and just say, hey, I've done this great work in your heart and I begin to grow in that knowledge of me. And this takes a step of faith by us walking in the Lord and by allowing ourselves to be challenged by his word and the way we live our lives. So as we begin to sing this song and if, if you feel so led to come forward and allow us to pray with you, that would be fantastic. Allow God just to touch you. Maybe the Holy Spirit's just stirring something in your heart right now and, and you just need to, 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 to pray about that. We're going to be here. We'll pray with you. We love you. We're family. Amen? We're here to spur each other on to good works. Amen? Not to heap condemnation, but to love each other, to be patient with one another, to challenge one another to continue to grow in the Lord. This isn't a sprint. It's a marathon that we run together, arm in arm, linked together, that we can grow together because we all get to the same place, right? When we're in Christ Jesus. And heaven awaits those that put their trust in him. Amen. So let's sing this. If you need prayer, come on down. We'll pray for you. God bless you. Just sing the of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Would you my heart And I will search for you Take my life and lead me out. Lord, you have my heart. 
with us Lord I know that that God we make so many mistakes in our lives and you're patient with us thank you for the example that we see in your patience and the way you dealt even with Peter that you restored him so that he could do the things that you've called him to do and Lord I pray for us here today I know it's easy to to get apathetic in our walk with you and just to allow allow side issues to captivate our hearts, to cause bitterness to reign in our hearts. God, you want to take all that stuff away. That we can serve you with purity and with with a motive that is, is pure before you. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would just do the work that you need to do in our hearts here today. That, God, we would be a people that would would grow in you that would just as John Piper said have a love affair with your word God help us to fall in love with you every single day and Jesus what you said to Peter was do you love me do you love me do you love me Lord that's the question that you asked each and every one of us here today do you love me and Lord let us let us do what you call us to do and to build your kingdom you've given us the gifts that we need and sometimes we're intimidated we're fearful because we feel like we're going to make mistakes well guess what we're going to make mistakes but Lord you'll give us the strength you'll give us the power Lord that we might go forward in your strength so Lord may we just go forward in your power today and just challenge us here today Each and every person, I pray that you would speak to us individually with what you desire us to do as we take that step in you. So we thank you for your word today. Thank you for your patience in our lives. We thank you for loving us first. 
And so, Lord, we respond by saying, we're your servants and we want to be used by you. And we just thank you and we love you. And we ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. God's word is good, isn't it? He's always so good to us. Amen. Let's just give him praise today. His word is faithful and good. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. If anyone needs prayer, we'll be up here to pray with you. Um, but otherwise, go in God's grace. Amen. Have a great day. Amen.